You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good to see you guys here today. We are in the Gospel of John, so if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 11. Last week we finished our uh, series entitled Broken Vessels, and today we're going back to John. We've been in the Gospel of John for several weeks, and so we find ourselves in John chapter 11. We'll be here for the next several weeks before we jump into our mission series this November. So excited to be in the Gospel of John again and excited to see one of the most powerful uh, things in the life of Jesus as far as his miracles are concerned. We're gonna see the greatest miracle other than resurrecting himself, uh, we're gonna see today in our passage today. And so as we dive into it today, let me just start by asking this question. Can dead things come back to life? Can dead things really come back to life? Really, that's a good question to kind of wrestle with today as as, as far as our faith and as far as our spiritual life. Like, can dead things really come back to life? You know, when it comes to death, we don't really like to talk about it, you know? We don't like to, you know, really spend a lot of time thinking about our death. We all kind of know that at one point in our life, sure, we're gonna die, But in our minds, we like to envision that being a really, really, really long time from now, you know? And so so we don't like to think about it. And so we always kind of put it off and think that it's in, you know, the future. But, you know, as we get older, you know, you get into your 30s and 40s and 50s, and then you really start to think that, eh, it's not too far, you know? It's not too far, you know? And then you start doing things to prepare for death, you know? And so it's like, okay, so to prepare for death, we're going to try to prevent it. So we start eating better. So our diets change as we get older. And then we start exercising as we get older. You know, we try to, we try to make up for some of that time that we lost when we were younger and weren't really thinking about it. Uh, maybe you, you got a life insurance policy. And so you're really kind of preparing, you know, if you were to pass away and your family would still be taken care of. And maybe you actually have taken some legal steps and you've taken the you know, you signed some legal documents, that, that, the, the do not resuscitate documents, you know, and some of you are on the flip side and you've signed the, don't let me die, man. You know, you've signed that document. How many of you want to sign up for that one? And so, you know, we do things to, to really prepare for death and it really comes down also as we get older to like what our legacy is going to be because we all want to be remembered, We all want to leave something behind. You know, we really begin to start thinking about our legacy. Like, did my life really matter? Did my life count? What are my kids going to be, you know, what are they gonna have as a result of my my spiritual investment in them? And so we're thinking legacy-wise, what's my spiritual legacy? How am I taking care of my family? You know, because we want to really make a difference. We want our life to matter. And as a result of of some of these things, you know, we, we really... Um, we're really transitioning into a new era in in our culture and in our world. Um, I wasn't really that close to my grandparents. Um, They always lived far away, and so I didn't really have a relationship with them. And and so when they passed away, you know, um, my my parents had stories that they told me about them. And and I remember my grandfather had written one or two letters to my grandmother that that they told me about and that I saw that that helped me, you know, kind of get to know them a little bit better. and, and, and the truth is, if you didn't really know your grandparents or, or they've, they've passed away or your great-grandparents, um, unless they kept a really detailed diary, you know, you, you really don't have much to remember them by. Maybe some stories, maybe a few photos, 
But in our culture today, the landscape has totally been changed. Think about this for a moment. In our world today, more than ever, your memory and your legacy can live on because of your digital footprint. Think about the thousands of Facebook posts that you have posted over the years, the hundreds of tweets that maybe you've, you've tweeted, or the hundreds of thousands of pictures that you've uploaded to Instagram over the years. Just think, one day, your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren are going to download your Facebook profile and every post that you've ever had. And they're going to be able to read that. And they're going to be able to read all of your tweets and see all of your Instagram pictures. Think about the window into your life that your children and grandchildren are going to have into your life and, and be able to remember you by simply because of your digital footprint. Now, in the same token, there are, business that, that, there are many businesses that are trying to cash in on this mentality, the mentality that, you know, we want to, to count, we want to be remembered, as well as when we lose people that we love, we want to remember them in some way. And so there's a lot of different uh, businesses out there that, that are cashing in. One uh, website is ifidie.net. Now, obviously, the premise of that website is a little confusing already. There's no if in this whole equation, right? But the idea is it's a, it's a Facebook app that you would, you would record a video of yourself kind of saying goodbye and saying whatever you wanted to say. You can be mean to people or you can do whatever in the video. And then when you die, the application will post it on your Facebook page. And so trying to, trying to send that message to the people that you love or that you don't love, I guess, if you wanted to, um, after you die. There's, a, there's another application called My Life's Tweets. And so basically what this does is after you're dead and gone, this application will tweet in your name forever. Like after you're dead and gone, you can keep on tweeting, you know? And what it does, what it does is it takes all of your tweets over the thousands of tweets that you've done and kind of puts it in a blender and it mixes it up and then it spits it out. And, and, and then basically what you would say and things that you have said will come out even after you die, letting your memory live on. That kind of sounds interesting. There's one um, website called 1000memories, 1000memories.com. And, and this is interesting because what it essentially does is it helps people collaborate to remember people that have, have passed away. And so collectively, people will post videos or pictures or stories about a certain individual to kind of reflect and remember this person. And so it's kind of a collaboration. Why? Because we want to be remembered and we want to remember those people that have gone before us. Before us. And, and, the, and the reality is, um, death is a reality. Now think about this. I mean, technology is advancing, you know, faster and faster. And so we're not very far from having, you know, robots in our environments, okay? Now just think, you know, they're not far from being able to program a robot based on your hundreds of thousands of social media interactions, your, your, your social media footprint. And so they can, they can one day be able to program a robot based on all of your social media content so that your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren could interact with this robot as if this robot were you. 
Now, we're not far from the use of um, holograms either. I mean, people are already using these. It's not just in Star Wars anymore. And so we're not far from this. And, and just imagine your great-grandchildren being able to interact with your hologram and, and, and being able to interact with your likeness in that way based upon the digital footprint that you have left. Now, see, this is a reality that our culture is beginning to dive into And the reason why this is interesting, the reason why this is even an issue for us today is simply because we want to be remembered. We don't want to die. We want our memory to live on. We want our legacy to live on. The reality is we want to live forever and we want the people that we love to live with us forever. I mean, that's just a reality. We don't want it to end. And and, and, and so we'll, we'll come up with, you know, different applications and different businesses will do different things to try to help that. But at the end of the day, death is a reality that no one in this room can escape. And so I want us to think through the lens of, of death today. I know it's kind of a dark and gloomy kind of beginning, but the reality of death in this world leads us to desire something more in this life. We desire, you know, more than just the average life. Life to the fullest, we wanna matter. And and every one of us longs for that something more in our own life. There's just something in us that longs for something more. We don't wanna settle for life. And so we wanna go and and, and experience life and and do as much and experience as much as we can and be remembered for that. Here's the incredible thing about John chapter 11. Jesus shows us that there is something more. He shows us in John 11 the most amazing miracle that he's ever done. He shows us who he is, and he also shows us what he can do in our life. Can dead things come back to life? Let's look at John chapter 11. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through the chapter, but let's start with verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who appointed the Lord, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Everybody say two days. Now, why in the world would Jesus wait two days after one of his good friends, Lazarus, is ill? So they live in this town called Bethany. Mary and Martha are sisters. Lazarus is their brother. It says that Jesus loves Lazarus. And yet when he discovers and finds out that Lazarus is ill, deathly ill, he waits two days Now, how many of you, if you discovered that a loved one was in the hospital and deathly ill, would kick back on the lazy boy and watch a few more episodes of Seinfeld before you go see them? Nobody. Because when you have a loved one in the hospital, deathly ill, you're you're gonna go see that person. And yet Jesus here waits two days. Why in the world would Jesus wait and delay for two days? 
days, you know, we have all of these promises in the Bible, all of these promises that encourage us through difficult times and, and through life's tragedies. And, and when we think about all of these promises and, and then we come to a story like this and we see that Jesus waited, it, it just begs and, and just kind of burns in our heart, why in the world would he be waiting? Why wouldn't he just run there and heal Lazarus? Why wouldn't he do something I think it begs the question for some of us in the room who are struggling with, with this in, in your own life. You're wondering if God is listening to your prayer. You're wondering why God hasn't healed this person, why God hasn't changed that relationship, why God still allows this certain individual or this, these circumstances to continue to, to, to bug you or to, to ruin your life. You know, and so you're, you're asking this question as well. Jesus, why are you waiting? How, how much longer, God, are you gonna allow this to continue to go on? I thought you loved me. I thought that you were gonna step in and do something here to make things different, but I still am suffering from this situation, God. Where are you at? You see, Jesus hears about his friend, his, his friend that he loves, and he waited. He says, and he mentions here, that the illness is not going to lead to death. And he says, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may, glorif may be glorified through it. So what's interesting here that we possibly need to understand today, I think we do. And for some of you, I believe it's why, it's why God brought you here today. Jesus loves Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. He needs his help. And yet he waited two days the end of the day, Jesus loves Lazarus, and yet he waited. Perhaps there is something more to this. The fact that God hasn't healed you, the fact that God hasn't answered your prayer yet, doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Perhaps the point of your journey today is that God is trying to do something in you before he's going to do something for you. Let me say that again. Perhaps God wants to do something in you before he's going to do something for you. Because at the end of the day, your journey is about you becoming someone in Jesus. Not that you live a perfect, you know, problem-free life. And so here, here's what Jesus is doing for them and I think what he wants to do for us in our life today. And that is this. This is the, this is the main idea of, of, the, uh, of the sermon today. If you don't get anything else, get this. The point is that Jesus wants to meet your deepest need, not simply your immediate wants. You see, their immediate want was fix Lazarus, heal Lazarus, do this for Lazarus. We don't want to go through this. And that's typically our response to difficult situations. God, do something quickly. Take this away. It burns. It stings. I don't want to go through this, God. Change them. Change this. Heal this. But the whole point of our journey with the Lord is about him meeting our deepest needs, not simply our immediate wants. So what is their deepest need here? Well, their deepest need is to experience the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. That's their deepest need. And they're about to see the power of Jesus. They're about to experience the, the glory of Jesus so that they can then experience the grace of Jesus in their life. And so, so Jesus understands timing better than you do, <laughs> believe it or not. 
He understands timing better than any of us. And and so timing is a big part. and, And there are bigger things taking place in this story, just like there are bigger things taking place in your own life today. Let's continue. Look at verse 7 and the following verses. He says this, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is a fascinating, um, interesting dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples. The first thing he says is, let's go uh, back to Judea. And the disciples are like, Oh, Jesus, about that. <clears throat> um, so they don't really like you there. Remember, they were going to like kill you. So uh, we probably shouldn't go, right? You know, we, we probably should just not do that. How about that, Jesus? <laughs> he was like, no, we're, we're going to go. And then he makes this interesting comment about walking in the light and, and stumbling in the dark. And what was he talking about here? Well, he, he says very plainly that it's, it's better to walk and suffer in the light more so than to stumble in the darkness. So the idea of, you know, walking without Jesus means that you're walking in darkness and it's painful when you walk in the dark. How many dads in the room know what I'm, what I'm about to say? Like you're a dad, you've got little kids and you're walking through the living room and the lights are turned off, you know, I'll never forget. I almost lost a pinky toe one night. You know, several years ago, due to a Buzz Lightyear toy, those, those deals are big, man. It's a big old honking toy. And, and all I remember is like walking through the hallway, everybody's asleep, lights are out. I thought I was going to safely go to bed and go to sleep. And I hit Buzz Lightyear square in the, in, the, in the little helmet deal. And it hurt so bad. And all I heard was, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> it's like I wanted to pick him up and throw him through the window. Yeah, when you walk in the darkness, in other words, when you are living your life apart from Jesus, you're going to stumble and it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful physically and it's ultimately going to be painful spiritually because without Jesus, your soul is in jeopardy of living without him in a place called hell. So Jesus says, hey, look, it's better. We're about to go into danger, but it's better to walk in the light with me and suffer than to walk in the darkness without me. And so Jesus says, we're going. We're we're going into danger. You see, that's what love does for you. That's what Jesus has done for you. He goes into the dangerous situations because of his love he's willing to sacrifice for you. And he's willing to give of himself for you. And so men in the room, like that's part of our journey as well. Like we lead and provide and protect for our family. We're willing to walk into dangerous situations, uncomfortable situations, have difficult conversations. Because that's what love does. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's going back into this city where they want to kill him. 
They want to stone him. And so he convinces the disciples here. They say, you know, you know well, you know, if he's asleep, because Jesus makes this reference to sleep, Lazarus is asleep. He's like, well, if he's asleep, you know, he'll recover. He'll recover. So let's just let him sleep it off and we don't have to go. Right, Jesus? And then it says that Jesus plainly says to them, no, he's dead. And they're like, oh, okay. So we got to go. We got to go. And Thomas makes this statement. It, it sounds, it's an interesting statement if you've, ever, if you've ever seen this. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. What in the world does that mean? I mean, it all depends on how you read that, that line, right? Because if you read it sarcastically, it would lead you to believe something. I mean, think about it sarcastically. Well, let us also go, Jesus, so that we can die too. You know, the sarcasm that your kids do. And then it's like, you know, the, the, the snap of the head and the roll of the eyes. Let us go too, Jesus, so we can die. Because obviously we want to die, you know. Or it could be like the dark, mysterious, you know, let us also go. <laughs> I practice that, but it's hard to do. <laughs> let us also go, that we may die also. also. It's like, that's dark, that's mysterious. <laughs> what I think he's trying to do is I think he's trying to man up here. And I think he's trying to say, hey, look, yo, I mean, if, if, if Lazarus is dead and Jesus wants to go, then we got to go. We're going, even if it costs us our life. Let's, let's go. Let's stop talking about it. Let's stop wasting time and let's go. And so they get up and they go back to Judea, into the dangerous areas of the town of the city. So let's look at the next few verses. Let's start in verse 21, jump down to 21. So they get to the town. And Martha runs out to meet Jesus. And it says this in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus arrives, and immediately Martha comes to see him. She goes out to him, and she says, Jesus, if you had only been here if you were only here, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, why, did you, why, why didn't you come sooner? But she says, okay, 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 let me just get over that for a second. I believe that, that, that even now, whatever you ask God for, he will give it to you. And Jesus says, look, he's gonna rise. And she says, oh yeah, 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 I know, because she was thinking on the last day, the resurrection, when all the dead will, will, will rise again. I know that's gonna happen, Jesus, but I'm talking about like right now. And then Jesus answers our question, can dead things come back to life? And he answers the question in a way that probably will surprise most of us. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And those who believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me, listen to this, shall never die. 
So the way in which he answers, can dead things come back to life, is, is in this statement. He says, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. You believe in me, here's the deal, you will never die. Now wait a minute, we know better than that, Jesus. We know we're gonna die. You spent 10 minutes at the beginning of the you know, sermon saying we're gonna die. So, so we get it, and about what's he, I mean, even the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and so obviously he's talking about something different. The promise Jesus gives us is that because of his resurrection, because of his life, with faith and belief in him, though we die, yet shall we live. So the point is this, death for anybody in this room is not a termination, it's a transition. You see, death is not the termination of your soul and of your body. Some people believe that we're just gonna terminate. God annihilates us and we're just, we cease to exist. But the Bible specifically teaches us that everybody will live forever somewhere. Death is not termination, it's a transition. So my question for you as we think through death is, is where are you going to transition? To death or to life? Let's continue, verse 32. He says, now, this is Mary's turn. She comes and meets Jesus now, and she says basically the same thing her sister did. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see now, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Mary goes to Jesus and essentially says the same exact thing her sister did. She says, why haven't, uh, why didn't you get here sooner? Why, why weren't you here? If you would have been here, he would not have died. This wouldn't have happened. And, and again, I've got to say, some of you are asking the same question. Some of you are asking the same question to God. Something died in your life. Your dream died. Your business died. You know, your, your marriage died. A relationship died. And you're thinking, Jesus, you know, I was trying to do the best that I could and you didn't show up. You, you didn't answer the prayer that I was, that I was saying. You know, a loved one passed away and, and, and they didn't get healed. And so, so the question is real. Like, Jesus, you should have been there. You should have showed up for me. And so there's this, there's this pain in your heart. And as you wrestle with death and as you wrestle with your faith, it's like this emptiness inside of you that is not being answered my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would answer it in your heart this morning. Both sisters are, are hurting. They're grieving. The, the Bible is, is, is clear here that grieving is, is a normal process when things die, whether it be a person or whether it be, you know, situations in life that, that have led to death as far as relationships or jobs or dreams, any of those things. When death happens, it's a grieving, sad process in our life. And Jesus ministers to both of these ladies in appropriate ways. And so he sees, 
He sees her weeping. She's, she's crying at his feet. He sees uh, the, the family and friends around who are crying. And, 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 and as he sees all of this and he sees you know, what, what she's experiencing, he knows what he's about to do. Here's what he doesn't say to Mary at this time. Look, woman, get up. Go to a bridge and get over it. Like, I'm the resurrection and the life, you know? No, he doesn't say that. Jesus ministers to their needs where they're at, and so he loves them. And he, he, he doesn't tell them to stop crying. He doesn't tell them to stop grieving because it's an, it's, it's an important part of our faith. Like when we experience loss, it's, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. But the book of Thessalonians says that we grieve as those who have hope, not as those who have no hope. So as a believer, when we grieve, we grieve in a different way because in light of Jesus and his, him being the resurrection and the life, we see eternity in a different light. And so we grieve with hope. Maybe we lost somebody, but we know they had faith in Christ. And so, so we have faith that they are with him and that we will see them again. If a dream or a job or a relationship has died, we grieve over that, but we also grieve in a different way. We have hope that God is working those situations for his glory and our good. And so Jesus here says specifically that this has happened. And I'm glad it's happened. I'm glad I wasn't there, he said earlier. Because you're going to believe. Your faith is going to grow. This is happening for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So at the end of the day, no matter if Jesus showed up on time in your mind or if you think he didn't show up and, and, and so you're struggling today, the reality is in that situation, what's at stake here is the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so you've got to see this in light of God's perspective, that your situation is taking place so that you would bring glory to God so that Jesus would get the glory through and in your life. And then in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible. It was the first verse I ever memorized. <laughs> I got it. I still got it. Jesus is weep, or, or um, Mary is weeping. All the other Jews that are there are weeping. And then it says that Jesus was deeply moved. The Greek word is, is, is one word there, and it's translated as deeply moved in the ESV. In other Greek writings, this same word is used to describe a horse that is snorting. And so the idea is that, if you've ever been around horses, you know that when they're upset, when you're trying to bridle them or whatever, and they're upset, they're angry, they're irritated, you know, they, they do that snort, you know. And when it's applied to humans, when it's applied to people, it means the same thing, like, like they're irritated, they're, they're upset, they're, they're, they're angry. And so Jesus here, this, this, this deeply moved, is, is, doesn't really give us the full picture when we just read the English. And so, so the idea that Jesus is upset, he's irritated, he's angry here, lends us to a deeper perspective of what God is trying to teach us here. And the reality is, you know, what, what is he angry about? If he's deeply, what is he angry about here? Like he's, he's not about to weep and to cry because he sees Mary and Martha crying. He's not crying because, or, or he's not angry because Lazarus has died because he knows what he's about to do. He knows he's getting ready to save the day. He knows he's getting ready to raise Lazarus. So he's not angry or upset at that. What's he upset about? I think 
in light of this passage really being around death and Jesus being the resurrection and life, I think what he's angry about is death, period. He is angry and upset as he sees his people dealing with death. He's, he's upset at death. Death is his enemy. He realizes like this isn't how it's supposed to be. My people aren't supposed to experience this. They're not supposed to go through this. I, I didn't intend for this to happen. And so he's angry at death. And it says Jesus wept. Now when we think of the word weep or weeping, we think of the, you know, flubbering kind of what your five-year-old does when you don't give them what they want, you know. But the word wept here, the Greek word just means that he shed tears. And so that could have been one tear, two tears, you know. And so the visual here is that Jesus is upset, he's angry, and he sheds a tear or two. And he's, 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 he's irritated that his people have to go through this. So here's what we know. Again, Jesus empathizes with your pain today. He's not happy that you're going through whatever you're going through. It doesn't please him that you've had to experience loss and pain in your life. He's upset. He's angry at death. Verses 38 through 44 are the, are the apex of the story here. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Now, this is important that he was dead for four days. That way, you know, everybody realizes that he really is dead. And, and like Mary, um, I'm sorry, Martha, like, comes up to him and says, Jesus, you know, hang on just a second. Before we go to the, to the tomb and do the, do the stone deal, homie's been dead for four days, you know. It's going to stink. It's, there's an odor, right? And, and, and if you grew up in Sunday school like I did, like it, back in the day, um, you read the King James Version. How many King James Versions when you were a kid? Let me see your hands. Okay. You remember this, this verse, how this verse was translated. It's, it's translated in the King, J, uh, King James Version. But Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> but Lord, he stinketh. Now, as a kid, you can't forget that. That was the second verse I memorized. <laughs> Jesus wept, but Lord, he stinketh. You know, that kept with me. Turn to the person next to you and say, stinketh. It's just fun to say, you know. If you've got... Teenage boys, you know what I'm talking about. Or middle school boys, for that matter. Or a man, I don't know. We all stink. <laughs> he told him to take away the stone. It's interesting that he's saying to take this away. And he's saying, I'm doing this so that you would believe. And so the idea here is, is Jesus always tended to do this. Like, the blind, blind man, mud on your eyes, go to the pool and wash away. There was always a step of belief. And so he's telling them to go and remove the stone. And so there's a step of belief here. He's saying, hey, look, if you go and you do this, I'm about to show you something that's going to change your life. And he goes to the tomb and he takes them to, 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 to take the stone away. And Jesus turns to this grave as a victorious warrior and conquering king. And he tells this dead man to rise. Lazarus, the name Lazarus means God is my help. God was his only help in that situation, right? He's dead. God is his only hope. Now here's the deal. God is your only hope. 
When you think about death, when you think about that transition in your life, God is your only hope. Jesus told a dead man to get up. He told his cold, lifeless heart to start beating again. He told his rotting flesh to be healed. He commanded wind and breath to fill his lungs again. And he turned to the grave and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man rose that day. Now, a few days later, Lazarus wrote a book entitled, I Was Dead for Four Days. (laughs) And it it became a really poorly acted movie that nobody liked. And so, no, it didn't happen. Why? Because God got the glory that day. No one else. No book deals. No, no movie deals. Jesus Christ got the glory. Let's read it. He says, he, he prays a prayer in verse 41. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I, stand, I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus prays a little prayer here, but it's not, you know, because he has to. He's doing it so that the people around him would hear him say this, so that they would would believe that that God sent him. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You see, this this story helps us answer two very important questions today as we close. And the first one is this, are you prepared to die? Are you prepared to die? I'm not talking about your diet and your health. I'm not talking about a life insurance policy. I'm not talking about your digital footprint right now. What I'm talking about is death is not termination, it's a transition. And when you die, you will transition to hell or you will transition by faith in Christ to heaven. And so the point for you today is to answer that question. Are you prepared to die? You see, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve lived in paradise and they messed up, they sinned. And when sin entered the world, our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship forever changed and as people continued to rebel as people continued to live in sin and darkness it became so sinful that God had had enough and he sent a flood and he killed everybody except for Noah and his family and after the flood subsided God made a promise to never flood the earth again and he, and he told Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. And so they did. And, and it wasn't long before people began to rebel again. They began to say similar things that we say today. God, I can do what I want to do. I don't have to do what you want me to do. They began to rebel and say things like, I don't care what you say or do, God. This is what I'm going to do. I don't care what relationship you say is wrong. I'm going to do it. And the evil again grew in the world so much so but God had made a promise not to flood the earth again so he decided you know what I'm going to do this time I'm going to send my son in the form of a man onto the earth and he's going to live a perfect life and he's going to show him how to live and he's going to he's going to show him what's important he's going to show him the way to salvation 
And he went to the cross to pay for our crimes, to pay for all of our sins. And then after he died, he rose from the grave victoriously, conquering sin and death, proving that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the great I am, that he is the resurrection and the life. And then he ascended back to heaven with the Father. And God said, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to live within them. And as, as the Holy Spirit lives within them, they're gonna be able to build my church and they're gonna, they're gonna tell other people about my son so that they too can receive a life in Jesus Christ. And one day, I'm gonna send my son back into the world a second time. But this time, it's not to save the world, it's to judge the world. I'm gonna come back into the world to take those who believe in me to be with me in paradise forever. And all those who have not, I will cast into the lake of fire. You see, death is a transition. So my question for you is, are you prepared to die? The second question this story helps us answer is, are you prepared to live? There are people in this room because you grew up in the South, you're like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Really? Based on your life? I mean, are, are people really looking at your life and saying, oh yeah, he, he follows Jesus? Or is that just some kind of concocted lie that you have believed? And like, you're, you're just kind of living your life empty and hopeless, and you walk into a room like this and the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and you're like, uh-oh, this is real. There's something missing in my life because you're not prepared to live. You see, because Jesus lives, we live for Jesus. And if you're not living for Jesus today, you're not prepared to die. <clears throat> I've got four children and my third child is... is um, a little girl named Brooke. She's nine years old. <clears throat> From the day she was born, the first time I held her in my arms, I kissed her on the forehead and I told her about Jesus. And I whispered in her ear that God loved her, that God has a plan for her, and that Jesus died on the cross for her. And, and hundreds of thousands of times since that first day, I've been sharing the gospel with her myself and my wife as well. And you know, as we would share with her, we would sit down in her room on her bed and we would open our Bibles and I would go to scripture and we would, we, we would read Bible stories, but then we would also go to specific, you know, passages that talked about sin and death and, and we talked about salvation and the cross. And so I would go to her and I would explain this and then I would say, Brookie, are, do you know what sin is? And she'd say, yeah, daddy, I know what sin is. What is sin, Brooke? And she would say, sin is any time that you do anything against God, dad. And I'd say, yeah, you're right. And I'd say, Brooke, are you a sinner? And she would say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I would say, well, you know, he, Jesus died on the cross for sinners so that we could have a relationship with God and so that we could, we could enjoy heaven one day when we die. I, do you, you understand that, Brookie? Yeah, I think I understand that. And I would say, Brooke, any time you wanna you know, make the decision to follow Jesus by, by faith. All you have to do is tell daddy and he'll, he'll show you how to do that and you can make that step, you can, you can take that step of faith. And, and I would explain that and I would feel excited and then she would say, okay, can I have a snack? <laughs> she'd run off and she'd do her thing. 
And a week or a month would pass and we'd get back into it again and, and I would share and I'd say, Brookie, do you, you know what sin is? And she'd say, yeah, daddy. She'd explain it. Brookie, are you a sinner? I'm a sinner, daddy. Here's what Jesus did for sinners, Brooke. You just tell daddy, anytime you want to receive Christ, you just come and tell dad or you tell mom and, and, and we'll show you how, what it looks like and how, and how to make that decision. All right, so anytime, you just let me know. Okay. And off she'd run. Because you want your kids to do this on their own. You don't want them to, you don't want to force them into this. You want to explain it and then you want them to pursue it, you know, so that it's theirs. And so, this past week, I, she is asking a lot of questions, and she, she's talking to Mike and my wife a lot, and dealing with this, and, and so they're asking questions, and so we, you know, we were dealing with it again, and so we decided to, okay, let's go through it again, and so I went through the Roman road. So I started in Romans 3, you know, for all of sin. We went to Romans 5, then Romans 6, then Romans 9 and 10, and man, we went through the whole thing, and I said, Brookie, what is sin? And she answered me. I said, Brookie, are you a sinner? And she said, yeah, I am a sinner. I said, well, here's what Jesus did for us. And I went through the whole thing again. And then I asked her the same question I have asked her hundreds, if not thousands of times. Brookie, whenever you want to receive Jesus, you just tell daddy. And I said that and I could almost hear my wife's prayers from her own heart as she sat on the end of the bed. Crickets were chirping. The awkward silence was there. And I thought, ah, here we go again. And then Brookie kind of, she looked up at me tears kind of form in her eyes and she said daddy I'd like to say yes to Jesus right now can I do that I said oh baby you can do that and I led her in a prayer and she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior this past week and it was beautiful it was beautiful I prayed over her, Micah prayed over her, and then I said, you know, Brooke, why don't you, why don't you pray? And she was like, all right. And so she said, you know, in, in a, her nine-year-old, you know, theologically sound voice, you know, she said, dear God, thank you for your grace because I didn't deserve it. And she looked up at me and she said, that's all I got. <laughs> I said, baby, that's all you need. That's all you need. And for some of you in the room, you're here because you needed to hear that. Faith in Christ is all you need. And some of you need that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today because I believe there are those in the room that need Jesus. And so... If everybody would just stay seated and nobody else move around, this is an important time. If you're here today and you're not prepared to die, like all morning you feel like the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you because you've not made this decision or you've never truly been authentic in this decision. And so today you're like, I want to make that step. I want to, I want to say yes to Jesus. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to talk specifically to those people in the room. And in just a little bit, we're going to baptize some, some, some people who have already said yes to Jesus. We're going to celebrate with them. But with nobody looking around, I just wonder, can I just know, I just want to know who I'm talking to today. 
Would anybody in here say, Trent, I believe I need Jesus in my life and, and I'm, I'm ready to say yes to him today. Would you just throw up your hand and put it back down? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? Slip it up and put it right back down. All right. Those that raise their hands, nobody else looking around, I want to just ask you to look up at me. Ma'am, do you, are, you, are you serious about this? Sir, are you ready? Anybody else make eye contact with me in the room? I, I've seen a couple. Sir, are you ready? Here's what I'm going to do. I've seen three. Anybody else? What I'm about to do is I'm going to say a prayer for you. And if you today are ready to make that decision, when I count to three, you're just going to stand up. I'm going to ask the entire congregation to stand up when I count to three. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. And I want the three of you that I've made eye contact with, and anybody else that says, you know what, this is the day I want to receive Jesus, I want you to come forward right here to the front. And to my left, your right, is Pastor Brandt. He's going to take you. You're going to slip out that side door. And they're going to help you make that decision today. Are you ready? Are you ready to make this real? Are you ready to do this today? You can bring your family with you. You can bring your kids with you. You can bring your purse with you. You don't have to leave anything in here. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Are you ready? I want everybody to stand at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Let's worship Him. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at Foothills Church.